Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to wrap up something that we started talking about last week, which was the very reason I was created. And I want to just quickly recap and um, remind us and relay a foundation that we can continue to build upon this week for just a two-week mini-series before we um, make a change next week. But the... um, uh, so this is week two, and so the very first line, you guys can give me a little bit of participation here, you probably remember this, but uh, we talked about the reason we were created, and God made us for his glory. That's the first line of your notes, God made us for his glory. <clears throat> the scripture for that is Isaiah 43, 7, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. And so we talked about the, the, uh, his glory being the filter, the reason um, that we were created, but it's also the filter of everything that we do going forward. Um, that word glory means honor, splendor, reputation. So for his honor, for his splendor, for his glory, for the advancement of his reputation. And let me make something uh, very clear. God does not need anything. If he did, he would not be God. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need your participation. He doesn't need your love. The reason that we give him the glory is because he is good and he deserves it, all of it. Every bit of it, he deserves it. So we also talked last week about what happened to derail mankind from our original purpose, and that was sin, right? So that's the next line in your notes there, sin. That word sin, we talked about it not being uh, just missing the mark, but uh, it, that is part of it, but it's, it goes a little bit deeper than that, the definition. It is to wander from the law of God and violate God's law. Next on your notes, violate God's law. <clears throat> Next line, we'll keep going here in your notes. But since we were made, made for God's glory, believers should be glorifying him in every aspect of life. And then last week, we talked about the way that, uh, about glorifying God in our bodies And this week, we're going to talk about glorifying God with our mouth, with our mouth. So I'm not sure about you guys, but I am a Yelp person. You know what Yelp is? Any, any, uh, any smartphone application people in here? Yelp. If you don't know what Yelp is, Yelp is a uh, very large, very popular app on your phone where you can go primarily, primarily to restaurants and things like that and, and write reviews. And so my family and I are foodies. I referred Smashers yesterday. How was it? Was it good? Oh, it was okay. It was okay. All right. It was good. Oh, he's, he's, he's clowning me in the middle of the message. All right, Christian. Yeah, let's see me after. <laughs> um, just messing with you. Yeah, thank you for responding. Um, but uh, so we, we're, we like to try out new restaurants. We like to try out new things like that. And when we go there, before we take a recommendation from somebody else, unless it's probably a handful of people, if anyone says, you try this place out, I've learned this the hard way that I need to go check Yelp. Why? Because Yelp exists to gather all of the basically the the negative things that you, people would say about a restaurant and post it. And if you can get people whose job is to throw off on a restaurant or to uh, tell you how not good it is or how bad their experience was to give it like a four or five star rating, you know, on a one to five scale, if you can convince those guys that you that it's the food is good, then you can probably 90 percent, you know, for my taste buds, my, you know, southern, you know, very bland. My wife would call it 
you know, picky. I call it simple, but that's another subject for another day. That's in the marriage series. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super, and she's looking at me like, yeah, you're picky, bro. I'm picky. Um, but, uh, so, so we go there. If you can convince me, my picky self that I can eat there, you know, then I, I think it's probably a pretty good thing. And so the reason that this is important is because pre-app days before you could go online and read you know the last 917 people's visits you know how they liked it or they didn't you have to you have to earn word of mouth you had to earn your your business or your reputation by word of mouth and and the old statistics pre-app days were this and it's amazing i wrote it in your notes on average people will tell 11 people if they had a bad experience with a business or a restaurant and the one if they have a good experience. <clears throat> Those are the statistics. They would tell 11 people if they had a bad experience and only one if they had a good experience. And they would, and that means that if I went to a nasty barbecue spot or no, uh, if I went to McDonald's, which is always nasty, right? So I'm sorry if you go to McDonald's in the room, I love you. Um, but if you go to McDonald's and you eat whatever they're producing, which is not food, but whatever they're producing, you know, and you go in there and and you have a bad experience like I did at a Denny's. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? With a big blue rubber band and my omelet. I told a million people. I told a million people about that. I even said and appreciated multiple messages to the youth group and to y'all. So I'm well over the 11 people average, right? <clears throat> but the good experience I had at Denny's was like, eh, pancakes are all right. And I'd tell somebody like that, if you want pancakes, we'll get pancakes. And even I, I found my own self doing this because, oh my goodness, if I have a bad, bad experience, I want to tell everybody else about my bad experience. But if I have a good experience, it's like, oh, it's kind of supposed to be good, right? So I don't really say anything. <clears throat> what happens is I started to, to, to ask myself and I started to ask the question, why in the world are we prone and bent to repeat the negative stuff all the time? Why are we bent to the negative? And I started reading some studies this week and some, and some psychology reports on what they call negativity bias and that human beings have a negativity bias and it's rooted in our, it's rooted in our, um, our, our fleshly desire to be safe. So if we have a bad experience, if you touch the hot stove, you're not going to do that again, at least not on purpose, right? If you, if you cut your finger with a knife, you're going to remember, I got I to gotta watch out for the knife. It's probably not going to happen again or not for a while if you're really paying attention to it. Your body, your flesh, your, the, the, the thing that is inside of every one of us wants to find some way to survive. So what we do is we latch on to these negative things and we, and we, um, our memories around negative interactions are far more vivid than they are for positive ones, far more vivid. If I were to tell you, tell me a bad experience you had at a restaurant, you would immediately be like, oh my gosh, the roach. I saw it crawl up the wall. I saw it come over here. It dropped down in the middle of the salsa. It splattered everywhere. And there would be like this vivid thing. And like, what about a good one? Oh, the, the hamburger was good. The vivid part of our, of our memory and the, what we recall is very centered around everything that's negative. 
And um, we need to, and actually businesses, entrepreneurs, employees, they, they hire people to come into your company and talk to you about how to get rid of your negativity bias and focus on these other things. Talk about the other things. Start promoting the things that are good. Start celebrating someone who had a little win today. They started getting some momentum. They had a, a project that was accomplished instead of, that was what you were supposed to do. It's three weeks late. And then harping on all the bad stuff. They have people that try, try to come into our corporations and our businesses, and they try to get our attention off of the negative stuff and more onto the stuff that's beneficial. Um, uh, there's marriage counselors that, that, are, that were interviewed in these, in these studies that I read, and they talked about that a, that a lasting marriage has a five-to-one ratio, five um, positive interactions or subjects of conversation versus one negative for most long-standing relationships. So if you have five to one ratio or higher, you have a good, a good um, chance to, to for the thing to last a long time. But if the ratio is flipped to one to five or worse, almost all of those have some type of strife and wind up in strained relationships, separation or divorce. So there's a lot of this focus, even in our culture, around getting away from this negative focus onto this positive focus and to, to look at the things that are terrible and then not just remember those, but the, but the things that went well for us along with those things. is not to give all of our passion, energy, memory to these terrible things that happened, but also give equal or greater time to the things that have been a blessing or beneficial for us. Um, there's a, old, before the days of cell phones where you could take those into the bathroom with you while you were, you know, handling the business in there and read things, you know, scroll through social media, they had magazines in the bathroom. Um, now that might sound gross to you now, but um, I, it just kind of came kind of, it's, it's kind of gross now that I think about it, right? <laughs> um, some of these people had magazines on the, the, the desk when you walk into a home, you know, pre-cell phone days, some of them had in the bathroom. And one of the things that was always on a desk or on the bathroom was a little bitty magazine called Reader's Digest. Anybody remember Reader's Digest? You are old like me. <clears throat> so um, Reader's Digest published this story about a, a girl whose life was spun out of control because of the things she chose to focus on early in her life. Her name was Angela. And Angela um, went to go see a counselor in her late 30s, early 40s, because her life had spun out of control. She was she was overcome with burdens. All of the the um, the, the relationships she had were strained. The, her, she was divorced. She was in another relationship, and that didn't work out. She had a strained relationship with her kids. She had a strained relationship with her parents. She had a strained relationship with all her friends, and she was very down on herself, very, you know, um, uh, very negative in her thoughts toward herself. And so somebody suggested she should go to a counselor because she was like, I don't want to keep living like this. So she went to a counselor and, you know, kind of, they started digging into her story a little bit. And he asked her, said, Hey, when did this start? When did all this negative, this stuff about your, you don't think you're good enough, you're terrible. And these, these, these things that you do to kind of lash out and act out, when did this start? She's like, I don't know. And so the counselor over several sessions, you know, talked to her about her college days. Did it start then? And she's like, no, I was already this way. Talked to her about her high school days, and she thought, no, I was already this way. And so he went back through middle school and all the way back to third grade, and he found a memory that she began to 
unpack in front of him in their session one day. And Angela um, was a normal kid, happy, joyful. You know, third grade is the grade all the teachers want, right? Because it's like the kids who are, you know, old enough to understand and get like momentum learning, but not cynical enough to hate it. You know what I mean? Like I hate school. Most of the third graders aren't like that, you know, and there's a, a lot of emphasis and a lot of people bidding to, to teach third grade. And so she's in third grade and her parents, while she's in third grade, begin to start having some issues and they start going through the process of separation and they eventually divorce. And this is something that she can't handle. She's going home to arguing every day and it's, and it's caused her life to kind of, kind of spin out of control a little bit. She's starting to be distracted in school. She's not finishing her work. She's not doing all the things she's supposed to be doing. And the teacher notices it and starts saying, Hey, you need to straighten up, Angela. Start listening. Don't hit that person. Give that pen back. Give that pencil back. Don't throw that. You know, that all that kind of stuff. And one day the teacher did something that we're all trained as teachers not to do. She snapped and forgot her training and threw it out the window or whatever and tried to get Angela's attention in a way that marked her for the rest of her life. She told Angela to come up in front of the, the class and she's like, Angela, you're acting like trash. Stand in the trash can. I told this story in a school assembly one day and three entire classes looked to their teachers and said, that's what you do. I was furious. I thought, oh my goodness, this really happened still. And so she said, stand in the trash can. And so Angela stood in the trash can. And then she went one step further and she said, okay, class, Angela's been disrupting. I can't teach the class. I want you to come up and write one word about how Angela is on the chalkboard. And so, you know, little kids, brutally honest, even if it's, you know, they don't even know what it means. And so the first kids put his hand up and ran up and grabbed the chalk. And he wrote ugly on the board and said, Angela, you're ugly. Ah, you're just ugly. I don't even want to look at you. And, you know, and everyone laughs and he high fives everybody go back and Angela kind of shrunk. Next kid picked up the chalk and went to the, the chalkboard and he wrote, um, he wrote the word um, dumb. Dumb. You're stupid, Angela. You can't even do the, you failed your last test. You can't do anything that's right. You can't even listen to the teacher. You're dumb. Went back, high five all his friends. They're all laughing. Third kid came up and um, all the kids came up and this one last kid towards the end, he came up, took the chalk, and in real big letters, he wrote the words reject. I said, Angela, you're a reject. I don't want you. You're, this teacher don't want you, and your parents don't even want you. And all the other things kind of were heavy-weighted blows, but that one pierced her. And the class chuckled and laughed and gave each other high fives and celebrated the damage they just did to poor little Angela, not knowing what was going on back home. And Angela, as she's recounting and recalling the story to the counselor, she's crying, she's weeping, she's, she's pouring out her heart, you know, and she's like, oh my gosh, this is it. After that, I started, you know what, if they're going to call me those names, I'm going to be those things. I'm going to live down instead of live up to their expectations. I don't live down to their expectations. If they've seen ugly, they haven't seen how ugly I can be. If they think I'm dumb, I'm going to cause them to be dumb with me. And she, from that point on, spiraled out of control from that one event. 
She's like, that's it. She's telling the counselor, that's it. That's where it all started. I think I'm ugly. I remember that's where it started. I didn't before that. I liked brushing my hair and wearing nice clothes. After that, I didn't care. And after the counselor gave her a moment to kind of compose herself, he said, Angela, but there was one more kid. And she said, what do you mean? It's like, there was another kid in the class. There's one more thing that happened after that kid wrote reject, another kid was in the class and she goes, wait, what? Yeah, there was another kid in that class, Angela. There's a little boy in the back who people picked on every once in a while because he's really quiet and the teacher invited him up to the front of the class to be the last one to write something about you on the board. And slowly but surely, Angela began to remember this little boy. And he's like, tell me what happened then. And Angela said, well, he kind of broke the rules because that little boy, I forgot about him. He just came up and he took, he didn't pick up the chalk. He picked up the eraser. Instead of writing words, he erased all the words that were written about me on the board. He erased them all. And he said, and all the people in the class thought, it's going to be a big word. This is going to be the last one. He's going to take up the whole board. It's going to be, you know, just huge, big letters, you know, and, and then he broke the rules again when he didn't write one word, he wrote three. I love you. And he came to Angela and took her by the hand and said, I don't think you're any of those things. And you don't belong in the trash can. And he took her by the hand, stepped her out of the trash can. The teacher didn't know what to do, so she's like, just both of you go sit down. Angela's weeping as they're both recalling this moment. And she said, wait, this is my story, not yours. How do you know the end of my story? He said, I didn't put it together until just a few minutes ago, but Angela, I was the boy in the back of that class. And that day I made a decision. I'm going to use my life to help people undo the words that have been said about them. I got into this profession because of that moment. Angela spent her entire life focused on only part of the story. She conveniently pushed away the, you don't, you, you, you are not any of these words. You don't fit the bill. You don't fit this description as ugly, dumb, stupid, reject. That's not you. You're not trash. You don't belong in the trash can. Get out of the trash can. She conveniently in her memory cut all of that off and put all of her attention, all of her focus, everything that happened in her life onto that little portion of the story and spiraled out of, the, out of control until her late 30s and early 40s. We could sit here today and talk about the power of words. We could talk about the power of saying the right thing and encouraging other people, but that's not what the message is about today. The message is about glorifying God with our mouth instead of glorifying the wound that we bear. 
glorifying the scars, glorifying the bleeding, glorifying the obstacle, glorifying the failure. Like, Matt, I don't want to glorify those things. Do we spend a lot of time talking about those things? Or do we remember, but God stepped in here? Let's read a story out of Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26 real quick. It's about the blind man that was taken to Jesus and that he healed. On one of those days, he, as he was teaching, they're talking about Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were, bring, were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of the crowd and before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, this is Jesus talking, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he was laying on, and went home glorifying God. And, am and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today, I bet. The very end of this story, what happens? The man obeys God, picks up his bed, and says, oh my gosh, I'm healed, and walks out glorifying God. And then at his testimony of God's goodness, everybody else stands up and says, oh my goodness, look at how good God is. They begin glorifying God because they have seen some awesome things. The last couple lines here in your notes um, for, for this week is the definition of that word glorify in the New Testament. It means to celebrate, magnify, or honor. Honor. Next line, praise, adorn with luster, clothe in splendor. The next one, impart glory to something, render it excellent. Render it excellent. And then the last one, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. I want you to think about, just for a second, let's pretend where all of us are sitting in the crowd that day that this happens with Jesus and this man who can't walk. Let's just pretend that we're all sitting there and somebody peels off the roof tiles of the room that we're sitting in, lowers this poor man down in front of Jesus and he gets healed. All of us are stunned. He gets up out of the, out of the bed. The Bible doesn't say how long he's been there, but it's obviously been a long time because all of his friends know that he can't get around. They're carrying him around on this cot or this bed or this gurney or whatever makeshift thing that they have to, to transport him around to go see Jesus. They know it is well documented with him and his family that this man has been paralyzed. He's been paralyzed for a long time. 
And then Jesus heals him, and he stands up and runs out the door. And let's just say that you were outside the door, and you saw him, and were like, Joe, hey, you're walking. Are you Joe? Yeah, you're walking. Oh, my goodness. And imagine if Joe said, yeah, but let me tell you about the nine years I was laid up in that bed. You know how many times I had to ask somebody to help me go to the bathroom? You know, I've been like this. I heard about Jesus back in January, and he took this whole time to come over here. Why didn't he come in January? He knew I needed, a, I was, I needed healing back then. This is terrible. All these disciples around here. You know that one of them tried to keep me out of the room, told me not to interrupt him. You know one of his disciples did that? Told me to stay out. Bro, you can walk. Yeah, I know I can walk, but you don't know how hard it was before the, the impact that Christ had on my life. We would all look at this like, that's ridiculous. No one would ever do that. Mm-hmm. We live in a culture who does this. We live in a culture who, when even inside the church where God does something, they, God does something to cause freedom, he does something to cause some miraculous provision in our life. He opens a door that we didn't even know could be open. He closed the door that we didn't know could be closed. We got ourselves into a situation that we could not get out of. God somehow organized and, and, and through his creative and miraculous power orchestrated a way for us to get out of the thing that we got into with our own, our own ignorance, our own stupidity. And if that hasn't happened to you, trust me, it has happened to me. God has gotten me out of some things that my ignorance, my arrogance, my stupidity, and my um, uh, immaturity have orchestrated me getting into situations that God divinely got me out of because he knew there was no other way for me to get out of it. Why in the world would that man who was healed focus on those years and the pain and the frustration. No, he didn't do that. All of us would roll our eyes at that guy and be like, bro, you ungrateful little sucker. What's the matter with you, right? We would all tell him that. But this guy doesn't do that. He jumps up immediately and starts glorifying God. He starts celebrating the goodness of God. He starts magnifying the power and the healing power of God. He starts honoring the God who has done something for him that he could not do for himself. He begins to praise him, adorn him with luster, clothe him in splendor put all of the focus back on him. I am standing here today doing something all of y'all can do, which is walk something basic that we didn't even think of when you walked in this door today. You didn't even think, I have to stand up and put one foot in front of another. No, you just did it. This man was spent years, possibly the majority of his lifetime, sitting here in a condition that unable to do something that basic people could do. Now he could do it. And what happens? He turns and points the light, points the attention, points the spotlights with his mouth. It was him. I don't care how long it took me to get healed. I don't care how long he, that, it, that, that he wandered around. I'm starting actually to forget how long I was down there, what it was like to lay on that bed. And I'm telling you right now that Jesus is the one to heal him. Go see him if you have a problem. If you need healing, go see him. If you need deliverance, go see him. And he kept pointing people, everyone that asked him, glorifying God, pointing the attention back to God. But we don't do that for a couple of reasons. We don't do that because we either want pity or applause. 
And regardless, if we get pity or applause, we got attention. If all we do is focus on the crazy thing that happened to us, the hurtful, the, the thing that happened to us that caused a derail in our life, that spun us out of control. If all we do is talk about that and then at the end go, but God is good and he just saved me. And we spent an hour and a half talking about this in the last 30 seconds, tag it with a thank you, Jesus, and then walk out. We have not glorified God. We have glorified us because we want people to think, I made it through. Look how strong I am. Look, it should have killed most people, but it did kill me. And there's a little bit of that. I want the glory in that. You may sit here and be like, no, there's not. It's just part of my story. Okay. I used to think the same thing until God shined a big, nasty light on my own pride and said, hey, we talk about all the stuff that happened to you a whole lot. It's part of your story. It's time to start talking about me who got you out of it. Because telling people your problem may make them feel like, oh, I have the same problem as this person, which is beneficial. But solving that problem doesn't have anything to do with the pain and the blood that we bled together. It has to do with the blood that was shed on the cross. We have to begin changing the way we talk so that we glorify God with our mouth. Matt, when you say glorify God with our mouth, I'm thinking, you know, is he going to hand out a list of nasty words you're not supposed to say? No, you already know what those are. We could pull some kids out of the nursery and probably figure out what 90% of those words are. They know. Maybe not the nursery, maybe the next one up. I almost called out a name of one kid I thought who could tell me all of them, but I'm not going to do that right now. <clears throat> But that's surface level. We already know that. If we're going to go deeper, if we're going to drill the roots of relationship with God deeper in us, if we're going to continue to bear the right fruit, we got to change what we talk about. Do you want me to walk around here, Matt, and never tell anybody I have a problem? No, you're unrelatable. But don't spend more time talking about the issue than about the God who brought you through it. Don't spend more time talking about the wound and the hurt. Why? Because you were created to glorify him. You were not created. We were not created to be a reservoir of, of hurt. We are not supposed to be the yelp that gets everybody's negative opinion of everything and then take everyone else's negative opinion, or, or whether we have experienced it or not, and distribute those to everybody else and make that our identity and purpose. Under the name of I'm helping them, we are not helping them. Unless the issue is resolved with us glorifying God, we have not helped anybody. Have we made them feel like they're not alone? Maybe, and there's, there's some value in that. You have to tell where you came from, that's your testimony, but the end of that has to resolve with us 
out of our mouth glorifying God. Why? Because that's why we were created. We were made to glorify him. We were designed to reflect his goodness. We were designed to be the light in the darkness. We were designed to point everything back to him. Did you make trees? grass, fruit, bushes, the home that you're in? No, none of the natural resources that any of us make, we start with it given to us. So what should we do? Glorify him with our mouth. There is no reason for us to remain in the position or the posture of our wounds any longer. Sometimes I watch a guy who, um, I don't know if you ever watch these guys online. Um, There's a chiropractor who adjusts these guys. This one guy who was from another country. After a month or something, going to this chiropractor, he fixed his back and stood up straight. He asked him what happened, and he said he was in an accident. Something he fell, something fell on him, or he's in a car accident or something, and sometimes the wound but if you've had an encounter with the healer, problem is some of us create an identity from the shape some of y'all it's in a church that's me some of y'all that's with friends that's with family that's with parents bosses that's with employers and whoever it is it has shaped you in a way and in some and if this has been allowed to stay and your shape has been altered by the the hurt that you've experienced then you have created an identity of the person who walks like this just like the man that was laying on that on that mat who couldn't walk everybody knew him as the guy who couldn't walk how many people know us by the that we're the one that God healed, or do they know us by that's the one who went through all that pain? That's the one that went through all that trauma. That's the one who has all those scars. That's the one who has all that deep hurt. Do they know us by that because we have created an identity for ourselves to be a reservoir to catch the blood that we're bleeding instead of laying it out before the cross and letting the blood of Jesus wash over us? Because that's the identity I want. That's the shape I want to be in. That's the the reflection I want to give. It's to point people to him. Because that's why you were created. That's the reason you were created. Before the job, before the assignment, before you being an ambassador of Christ, you were created to bring glory to him. Not because he needs it, but because he deserves every bit of it. So, I 
don't know another way to say this without just being direct, so I'll just ask it. What are we talking about? How's our speech? What is it that we spend the most time shining the light on? Is it what we've endured or the God who brought us through it? Is it the hell we went through or the heaven that is to come? Is it the crazy, out-of-control lifestyle that we spent part of our life wandering in? Or is it the peace that passes all understanding? I got no problem opening up and telling you what my scars are, but we can't stay and look at them and be like, oh, that's a good dude. No, because the scars didn't get there. They didn't get healed on their own. They got healed because of him. The reason you were created was to glorify him. And the encouragement is to glorify him with this. The words I say, yeah. But what we shine the light on with these words needs to bring glory to the God who saved us. Let me give you two examples of that real quick. I'm going to ask Brian and Nina to come up here. And I asked them just real quickly. I said, I know that God's done stuff for you in your life. I know that God's come through for you in some way, provision, open door, closed door, healing some way, shape, or form. Will you come and just quickly tell us, will you glorify God with what he's done for you? You want to go first? Uh, I have a specific story as far as the provision of God. Now, some of you that know my story, I will briefly talk about the scars. Um, but I do come from a lot of painful pasts, and you would never know it today uh, because. All of those moments of pain and trauma, the Lord has been so kind to walk me through all of that over the years. And he's healed the child that grew up in domestic violence, the child that grew up in um, very abusive physical abuse. Um, and there's so much. It almost was it's 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 a really foggy past. It gets really foggy because of all the pain and all the things that I had gone through because of other people's actions and then in return of my own sin. And so there was just so much craziness, doubt, insecurity, fear, you name all of them. Sometimes they were just kind of like, uh, can you just help me out here? I don't even know what to say or do. There's so many tears, so much pain. And he was faithful even in my weakness. So I am not, I'm not the same person that I was when I was 21, 22. I'm not talking about your average problem as a 21, 22 year old. You know, I'm talking about really tra traumatizing things. The Lord has brought me through tremendously. I, I need to write a book at how faithful God has been. But I do want to talk about specifically the provision of God um, and how he hears and takes care of those that he truly loves. 
So in a Samoan culture, when you get married or you get buried or you graduate or first year birthdays, everybody's involved and everybody donates. We have this inside joke about uh, that Samoans have. Who needs health insurance? You've got family, right? And uh, that's our joke, but it's not a joke. We really always come through um, and we'll donate up into, you know, all my, my, my um, parents and their siblings and all their children and all their grandchildren. When something happens to one of us, we all chip in financially. You're going to be okay, you know? So one year, one of my cousins was getting married. She got married um, very young. She, she got pregnant early. And so I was talking through that hard time with her. And I was kind of sharing the love of God with her. Well, she got married the year, I think it was the first year Matt and I got married. And we were broke. We were in ministry school, didn't pay nothing. It's just kind of, you know, Matt was delivering groceries. And for us to come up with $500 to donate, I felt like was impossible where we were at. That, that week, it was due. And I, I said, God, I don't know if you really care about things like this. But I would really love to donate $500. I'm not going to ask anybody. I said, because you're my source. And I know you hear me. And that's all I said. And that during that week, uh, the following Sunday, Joyce Myers spoke at our church. I don't know if you guys know Joyce Myers. I don't know her personally. But I led worship while she was teaching. And that was a Sunday night. Monday morning, I got a phone call from the church and said, hey, can you come up to the office? Uh, Joyce Myers left you in an envelope. I was thinking, oh, maybe her books, you know, she gave me some free books. And I walked in there and I got the envelope. And as I was coming down the stairs, I opened it up. It was a check for $500. As I was walking down, I thought, I thought to myself that day, God, you heard me. You care about everything that has to do with those that love you. Now, he doesn't always answer me that way. But in that moment right there, I just thought God saw me as so valuable in that moment that he would hear a really quick prayer. I whispered it, and, and I felt, man, this king, this God of the universe that he would stop and answer such a simple need. It was, it was difficult at that time, but so many moments like that of God showing up and going, you continue to love on me. And when you ask according to my will, I will come through for you all the time. When it fits with what is in line with me, I hear you, I listen to you. And when I see that it's fit, I will answer you. And it was like that at that moment. I was walking down the stairs and I felt the spirit of God so present. And I just got in the car and I said, God, I said, Matt, God, heard, God heard me. He's so faithful. I don't even know what else to say, but there's no words to describe those many moments that God came through with me. Why are you laughing, Brian? Anyways, that is my moment with God. You could easily go, 
you were in ministry school and no one was paying you? Matt was delivering groceries to make it, make your ends meet? Are you kidding? You could have used that $500. And I would say, yeah, we could have. And in doing so, we would completely put the light where it doesn't need to be. Where we need to put the light is God hears the prayers of his children. Where we need to put the light is God provides for the needs. He is interested in what's going on in your life. He is the one who can make things happen where no other thing can be made happen. I'm telling you, we did not have a friend who had $500. We did not have several friends who could have combined together and come up with $500. We didn't have it. I'm telling you that the focus is not about the money that came through. It is about the God who cared enough to answer the prayer of his child. So when that story is told, she didn't spend a lot of time talking about all of the need that we had. She spent the time talking about what? Him, the God who provides, putting the focus where it needs to be, glorifying him, celebrating him. He is the provider. He is the one who heals. He is the one who answers prayer. He is the one who answers his children. He is the one who has never left us or forsaken us. And we have proof many times over. This is just one of the many times we have proof that that happens with this story. Glorify him with your mouth, right? So I was laughing because I thought maybe I should have went first. <laughs> um, but for me, I, when I look back at the goodness of God, I think about um, when Ellie was born, which is really weird because when we had Everly, everything was amazing. Um, and then when we were having Ellie, Sam and I just left, um, we just left our employers and then when Ellie was born, we had the excitement. Uh, she was born. And then they separated me and Ellie. We went into one room and Sam was in the other room. And I remember holding her and the nurse was like, I think she's hungry. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, do you have another bottle? Because the first thought came to my mind was I felt really guilty. We just left our employers and I thought, I have this new child. Where are we going to go? We were pastors at another church, and I was like, hey, God, come on. <laughs> now we have another child. We need to, you need to start opening up some doors and some windows. So we went through that when she was born in April. Sam and I, I told Sam, like, God's going to make it work. It's going to work out okay. I got a job. And then I was delivering. I was driving Lyft, and I was working another job. And Sam was like, this isn't working out. I need you to be home with the kids. And in June or July, my mom calls and my mom's like, hey, we're having a conference. You guys should come. And it's called a miracle catch. And I was like, a miracle catch. Okay. I need to catch a miracle in my wallet before I can get there. Um, and sounds like, babe, I think, I think we're going to go. Like, we need to go. And I was like, I think we need to come up with the money. <laughs> and so all these doubts and things are happening and bills and everything is just piling up. And I made a decision. I said, you know what? If you really want to go, we're going to go. So like a good husband, a smart husband, I listened to my wife. Then like a good son, I asked my mom for the money. <laughs> so we got there. And there's so many crazy things, I think, that goes on in the normal family that no one really talks about. I mean, bills, Sam's going through her things. I'm going through my things. And there's so many roles and dynamics that's taking place at the time. We had other people staying with us. And so there's this pressure and all these things are going on. We get there and Sam and I and Christian were making jokes like, hey, come on, let's catch our miracle. We're here to catch our miracle. And 
I remember going to this huge auditorium and it was filled and I started to worship and so weird. The thought dawned on me that God is good even right now. The goodness of God isn't dependent on an outcome. It's not dependent on whether I make a million dollars or if God drops a million dollars or puts a check on there, God is good right now. And I looked at Sam and I looked at Ellie and I started to cry because I was like, you know what? God's going to take care of it. I'm not going to worry about it. And then at the same time, I'm forwarding calls from people who are like, it's time to pay your electric bill and I'm hitting forward. And all these things are happening. And I thought when we left that, we left the auditorium and I told Sam, I said, God's good regardless. And right now we don't know where we're going to go, but I know that God's going to take care of me. It's hard to say that as a husband, as a father, it's, it's hard to say it without really knowing, you know, you say it because it's the right thing to say. It encourages my wife. It keeps her from losing her mind. And so I said it. Then I was driving um, on the freeway. I'm in Hawaii. We had a couple days and I was like, I'm going to go visit family. So we're driving to the cemetery so I can see my grandparents. <laughs> um, and as I'm driving there, it's a long drive and my phone rings and my phone rings and I see, I don't recognize the number. And I'm like, it's probably another bill collector. <laughs> Sorry, another time. And then it rings again and I answer it. And it was the bot. It was my boss's boss. And he's like, hey, Brian, you know, this is Mike. I'm just calling. How are you, first of all? And we have that conversation. I'm like, everything's going good. He's like, something came up with your boss, but um, I wanted to offer you the job. And I thought, well, I don't have no experience in this field, in real estate. Um, all I have is a positive attitude, a good smile. <laughs> Maybe a good smile. Someone tells me I have a good smile. But all these things that I'm like, how did God just open this door for me? And he says, you know what? And before we get off the phone, I don't want you to worry. I know you're on your trip. When you come back, you're still going to have vacation days. We're counting these as work days. We're going to give you a sign-on bonus right now. And it's all these things and all these benefits. And I thought God really provided for me in that moment. And God was really concerned about the concerns that I had as the head of my household. It's hard. As a man to think, how am I going to feed my kids? What am I going to do next? You get creative and we're eating noodles a different way tonight and <laughs> all these things. And God was like, I hear you. I know right now you feel like you're in an impossible situation, but I promise you, if you continue to walk with me, I got you. And when I think about it, yeah, it was a miracle, but it's the goodness of God that keeps my family to this day moving forward. It's his goodness that keeps us happy and whole. It's not like we have a million dollars. We don't got to drip in 24K, none of that. God has just been good. And so for me, when I think about the goodness, I think of when Ellie was born and I think how God carried us through that situation. What do you mean you used to work at a church and don't have any money? That's why you don't work at sinking churches. That's why you don't give your life to these people. I bet they all had the money and you didn't have the money. I, I've seen all this habit shining the light on the wrong thing. Hey, you know what happened? God saw the need of his child and opened up a door and gave him favor in a place that he didn't even know he had it. He didn't even know he needed it. And what happened? That led to the provision that he needed to not just endure that moment, 
and have something at that moment, but the goodness of God carried him with what he gave him at, right at that moment of need, then carried him beyond. The goal today is not to tell you, pray and God will give you money. Nope. Glorify him with your mouth. I know people that should be dead, except for the glory of God, the goodness of God. There's no way any of the things that my life have shaped out to be, whatever have shaped out. Nina, my son, here, our home, nothing. Nothing that I put my hands to do did it. It was all the goodness of God. Every single thing that I have that's worth anything in my own life is because he loved me in spite of me. He provided me in spite of my ignorance. He loved me past my sin and my shortcomings. He needs all the credit. He needs all of the focus. He needs all of the attention. He needs all of the praise. I need to glorify him with my mouth. And in doing so, tell the God part of the story. I don't, know, I don't want anybody in this room or anybody who listens to this later to think, well, Matt's telling me not to tell my story. No, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you not to let the hurt, the wound, the frustration, the past story be the sum of your conversation. Let it always resolve toward the glory, the spotlight, the excellence, the honor, the celebration needs to be, and that is with our great God. Madam, in the middle of a hard time, um, it's hard for me to see anything right now. Well, today, we had a reminder. It's not shaking out for me. I'm in the middle of asking the, uh, the question. I'm, I'm, I haven't got that call yet. I haven't had the person give something to me yet. I have, I, I'm still struggling to make the next step. I'm, I'm in the middle of the wound or the process. Remember him. We did this today in remembrance of him. Why? Because beyond all that, all glory still belongs to him. The cross is enough. The empty tomb is enough. Your salvation is more than enough. Let's glorify him with our mouth. Normally, what I would do here is I would, we would take a moment and ask what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Um, but I want to do something a little bit different. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You answer and instantly obey everything he tells you to do. But here's what I want to do. I don't want to miss an opportunity to give God the glory that he deserves with our mouth. And so instead of bowing your head, instead of praying, instead of doing all that right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell somebody else in this room 
how good God's been to you. You ain't got to tell them your life story. You ain't got to tell them the deepest, darkest secrets you got. You don't have to do any of that. Just real quickly, two minutes, three minutes, I'll play some music and we'll just have a moment here, but I want us to get into the practice talking about the goodness of God. If that makes you uncomfortable, good, number one. But number two, if we can't talk about the goodness of God with people that we know God has been good to and would recognize it, we're never going to be able to shine the light out there and tell anybody else who's not a believer how good he is. So let's just start here. Because when you put the focus where it should be, the depth of how God, how good God really has been begins to get clear. Not only did God heal that man in Luke 5 that we read, that was paralyzed, he provided him a way with his friends to get to Jesus. He orchestrated a moment where Jesus would be in his town. He gave those friends the idea to crawl up on that roof and tear those shingles off and lay that man down in front of Jesus. They got to watch the healing. They got to watch the rebuke of the Pharisees. They got to watch the, the incredible faith that was built in every single person. So yes, that one thing happened, but there was so much more going on. Because why? The man stood up and glorified God. And everybody else left glorifying God and in awe because, oh my goodness, what have we just seen?